We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Thunder fans? It is your boy, Taylor Peterson. You probably know me on Twitter as at Taylor underscore P15. And uh, you guys are listening to the Uncontested Postgame Podcast. I actually was covering the Golden State game on Wednesday as well from our account. You guys, I was actually at the game. You guys may have seen um, some of my videos and pictures that I took while I was at the arena. Uh, it was really exciting at first until the game happened, and it wasn't. So we get home late. Uh, I, I live in Tulsa. We drove back to Tulsa. It was late. Um, on top of that, I was frustrated, and then also, uh, as you guys probably know, we had that Mikey Barra pod that we did Saturday morning, and I really wanted that to kind of get uh, a good shelf life and to get a lot of attention, and so I didn't want to take away from that with the post-game podcast. So, my plan was that I would cover tonight, you know, I maybe could touch on Golden State game a little bit, and then maybe would have a win to cover for tonight. Unfortunately, that was not the case. Um, other than the very end of the fourth quarter, this game arguably was just as bad as a Golden State game. It was rough. Either way, the Thunder lost again. That makes this their third straight loss, their second straight loss at home, and they now have lost nine of their last 13. Yeah, that's that's not great. <laughs> this game, it was kind of really a strange one, to be completely honest. There was no Russ, first and foremost, as you guys, I'm sure, are very aware, uh, due to him getting a one-game suspension because he hit his 16th technical against Golden State. And then there was no Noel, we found out, right before tip-off. He had a quad contusion. And I actually noticed, and I'm not sure if this was related or not, uh, but when I, when I was at the Golden State game on Saturday, I noticed Noel, kind of, I believe it was in the second quarter, walking back to the locker room. And we didn't see a lot of Noel, but I mean, Steven was playing fairly well overall, one of the few players who actually was. Um, and so it didn't really surprise me necessarily. But then this news comes out right before tip-off, and apparently Noel's banged up as well, uh, as it seems like a lot. Maybe the Thunder players currently are. So obviously we were pretty limited uh, in depth when it come, came to coming into tonight's game when you don't have Rust and Noel, two big rotation pieces that, that certainly hurts, but regardless, 
I still feel that this was a game that the Thunder should have and could have won, and I think a lot of you would probably agree with me there. Um, and particularly when you take into consideration that Miami was actually on the second night of a back-to-back. Now, there are some Miami reporters saying, well, it's not really a back-to-back because they actually played at 1 o'clock yesterday, and so it doesn't really feel like a back but it was still a back-to-back. I mean, uh, yeah, that, that, that's something that should have played in Thunder's favor, and unfortunately it didn't, as you guys will see. Thunder now fall to 6 in the West, only a half game up on Utah, who is currently in 7th, and only one game up on the Clippers in 8th. We went from here about you know two, three weeks ago, thinking that the Thunder all but had the third seed or fourth seed locked, and now we potentially could be in the seventh or eighth seed, which really seems crazy. Um, coming into tonight, OKC was third in the league in pace uh, at 105.76 possessions per 48 minutes, and that's actually on kind of like the pregame report that the Thunder always put out. I saw that on there and thought that was interesting. And you know, as we have harped, and I know I have harped probably particularly on this podcast more than anyone, um, you guys probably get tired and annoyed of it, but I've harped so many times on this pod and other podcasts that you guys listen to that this team is at their best when they're pushing pace and running transition. Well, the second half of the Pacers game, Saturday's loss against the Warriors, both of those teams were able to get to OKC by slowing down the game in the half court, and this forces OKC to run half court offense, which, as we know, they are not very great at, uh, particularly right now during this last stretch when they aren't hitting shots. To start the game, OKC did just what they needed to. They, they went up 13-0, they ran transition, they made the open passes, they were making extra passes, they knocked down good shots, they played good defensively. I mean, we were up 13 to nothing. We all were tweeting like, oh my gosh, like this team looks like they're back. This is so exciting. Maybe we're actually going to take care of a team and get a win uh, like we're supposed to and like we haven't done it since really Brooklyn. But even then, you know, we struggled in the first half against Brooklyn. So then Dragic the Dragon comes in and just goes scorched earth on us. And uh, you would think he actually was a dragon because he was on fire. Ba-boom, uh, he had eight points in five minutes on 4-4 to start, which is just absurd. And from there, he just continued to torch us. The Heat out- actually outscored the Thunder 23-8 to from the six-minute mark to, in- to the end of the quarter, the first. And then, so OKC makes a push late in the half, thanks to PG and Jeremy, really the two Thunder player that was- players that really stepped up tonight uh, to get the lead down to three. And I'll talk a little bit about each of them here in a little while. The Heat bench ended up uh, outscoring OKC bench- OKC's bench 39-2. to uh, Keith was actually the only one who scored in the first half, which is just uh, off the OKC's bench, which is absolutely absurd. And I get it because you, you don't have that depth. You don't have Shooter coming off the bench, but that's still unacceptable. Basically from there, I mean, Miami really controlled a whole the majority of the second half. PG actually didn't score at all in the third quarter. And then basically Jeremy had to just go crazy. He had a career night, 27 points, which I said I'll get into, but he, he basically kept us alive, kept us afloat in the third quarter that allowed us to go on a late fourth quarter run. So, you know, late in the fourth quarter, Thunder finally get together and then we show some fight. We It got to the point where we got the lead on the six. Shoot, there was probably like a minute and something left. Uh, we get a stop. After that, uh, we're running in transition. PG throws the ball to Ferg. Ferg fumbles it out of bounds for another turnover. That makes 19 on the night for OKC. And from there, the Heat just took back control of the game and ended up winning. Uh, really frustrating. It's frustrating that this team goes through these these spurts. I even described, <coughs> I think, this game as a roller coaster on our Twitter account because that's really what it seemed like. It was just a, a game of a lot of runs. Uh, unfortunately, Miami had the biggest of runs in between the second and like beginning of the fourth quarter. And from there, it was just out of reach for OKC. So I have some themes that I want to go through before I jump to your guys' Twitter questions and we get out of here. Uh, I think they're really important. And one thing that's continued to come up recently that we've seen We've seen it more this season than others. We actually talked about this on the pod with Mikey, uh, Mikey Barra on Saturday. 
but that's zone defense. We saw it again, and we saw it again from a, a team less talented than us, and I don't think that is obviously a coincidence. We saw zone first against Brooklyn, and like I said, we talked about this with Mikey, but Russ, you know, we talked about how he did a really good job of attacking. Um, he found open teammates, particularly Steven, down low, because that's uh, that was what was left vulnerable in the zone defense was that, that open back door or that open uh, pass to Steven down low, kind of let him eat down low. And then also, you know, finding open teammates on the outside. And I think it's important to kind of talk about how to beat a zone defense. And really, it's it's pretty simple, but it throws these NBA players for such a loop because they don't they aren't used to seeing it. You penetrate, you attack the zone defense. You then can, like Russ, for example, he's so good at doing that. You can kick it out to the open man. And then from there, it's, I mean, so a lot of the time you might have an open shot, but it's really important to swing and move the ball constantly and consistently. Um, this is where you see like a team like the Spurs just flourish because they're so good at making that extra pass. That's really what you want to do is get the zone the zone moving, as I'm sure a lot of you know. Um, and then you can also, you, you want to flash a man up to the high post. Usually you throw it to a, uh, the ball to a wing, one of your guards or your small forward, and then the opposite postman, whether it's a four or a five, flashes up to like the free throw line, the high post. You can throw it down to him. We saw that a lot with Jeremy today. He was able to just absolutely take control of that and really was able to score the ball well, but you can also pass out of that if you're a big man and find a open shooter on the outside. So it's really actually a simple process. Now, granted, I am a not nearly even comparably close to being an athletic as some of these NBA players. So a zone defense that I played against in middle school and high school is completely different to the NBA. I realize that. Um, but I felt that the Thunder really struggled. <laughs> they didn't really seem to take initiative to beat that zone defense. So, uh, you know, I talked about Steven, and it was important to get him involved, but unfortunately he was basically in foul trouble all game. He had three in the first half. He picked up two more early on in the third quarter, and that killed us, it's particularly when you don't have Nerlens Noel to come in. Uh, you kind of have to rely on Jeremy and Markeith to play back up five minutes, which I like a lot, but you can't rely on that the whole entire game, particularly when you have a team like Miami who has some, some pretty talented bigs. Um, you know, Miami ended up having 60 points in the paint compared to 50 for OKC. So we really missed Nerlens and Steven. Like I said, even if Jeremy did play really well defensively when he was playing some backup center minutes. So the Heat basically threw everyone at PG. You know, it, they played the zone, but they really, they're very aggressive on the perimeter when they defend. And I thought they, you know, they're essentially doubling Paul George every time he touched the ball. And honestly, you could say the same for Schroeder for that matter. They, they were really aggressive with both of them on the perimeter. They're forcing them to give the ball up and trying to get other players to make shots and, and beat the Heat. And unfortunately, we didn't. Um, you know, I thought Paul George actually played a really solid game. He, him and uh, Schroeder both end up with five turnovers, but I thought PG really, he, he trusted his teammates. He made the right decisions overall. Um, and you know, he can't, he can't do it all, particularly when he has two or three guys on him. That's where having Russ obviously helps a lot there because that opens the game up so much more for Paul George. And that's kind of something that Paul ta- talked about, you know, um, talking about his reason for staying in OKC and staying with Russ. And obviously, he really missed him a lot tonight. Uh, but regardless, I, I just want to make the point that I don't think Paul George, Paul George necessarily had a rough game. It was just rough for him because of how Miami was defending him and Schroeder and the rest of the team, other than Jeremy, was uh, una- unable to step up, unfortunately. So speaking of the rest of the team, Thunder only shot 30 of eight, 38 excuse me, of 87 from the field. That's 43.7%, which isn't horrendous, but it's not great. That number is actually slightly inflated, too, if you take into uh, consideration the fourth quarter run that the Thunder made at the end of the fourth. 
you know, they, they finally started taking better shots. Um, even if the shots, some of the shots they took today weren't awful, but they were attacking the Ram, pushing in transition, etc. So that percentage is actually higher than what it really was the majority of the game. They shot only 10 of 37, 27% from three. And I think that tells you, I mean, basically backs up everything I've been saying. And I just do, for comparison's sake, um, so this isn't, so you guys know this isn't an outlier. This, this is becoming a theme. Um, on Saturday's game against the Warriors, Thunder shot 31 of 96, which is 32.3% from the field. And per CBS, that's the Thunder's worst shooting percentage for a game this season. They also shot 13 of 41 from three. So like I said, this is starting, the poor shooting is starting to become a theme, just like it was early on this season where we were playing good defense but weren't able to make open shots. Um, we got to find a way to make those, make those outside shots and get Paul George and Russ some space and some help. The Thunder desperately needs some shooting and contribution outside of Paul George. Me and my dad talked about it on the way home from the game on Saturday. You know, it just you can't just rely on Paul George to be your, your outside shooting, or even Russ for that matter, post-All-Star break. We need some other contributions. And speaking of contributions, the Thunder bench, you know, without Schroeder running point, the bench got outscored 67-10 to 10 overall. I mentioned they only scored two points in the first half, which was Keith. They ended up getting outscored 67-10. to 10. Nader had six of those. Keith had four. So speaking of Nader, we talked a little bit about him on Saturday as well. But I just wanted to point out that I did like Nader's hustle again. I mean, he got, he comes in and he makes things happen. I have to give it to him. Um, his def- defense continues to improve, even if it's not perfect. And I don't think it will be, obviously. But he at least can hold his own at times. Um, he got a couple steals, made some things happen, ran in transition. And he, him and Jeremy really in the third quarter were the two that I felt kind of kept us afloat, as I mentioned. Uh, but the bench lacks scoring, and the bench has really struggled since post-All-Star break. Although I did go and look back on the uh, the scoring, the bench contributions against the Warriors, and it actually wasn't all that awful. But as a whole, I feel like they, they really have struggled, um, particularly post-All-Star break. And another thing, another huge theme, and this was probably one of the biggest to the entire game, is turnovers. OKC had 19, 1-9 turnovers compared to 8 for Miami, which is just horrendous. Um, it's uncharacteristic even for OKC, and even when they're struggling like they are, I mean, it's just it's terrible. Uh, there's really no excuses for that, regardless of how good a defense Miami played. PD and Schroeder each had five, Ferganator each had three, and the rest were kind of scattered out from there. We were just really ridiculously sloppy with the ball. We made careless mistakes. We weren't running back on defense after those steals happened, and it was just kind of lazy. And I'll get <coughs> excuse me, I'll get into that here in uh, a little more detail here in a second but that he had 18 fast break points to the thunder seven and that basically that means the thunder were turning the ball over they weren't running back they weren't defending nor were they getting stills and running in transition so like i mentioned i think turnovers obviously were a huge issue tonight um, but one thing that was not an issue let's talk about something positive because there's been a whole lot of negativity <laughs> on this podcast so far and i apologize for that but you know sometimes you have to kind of tell it how it is so uh, we got to give credit where credit's due, and I mentioned him a couple times tonight because of how great he played and how he impacted the game. Jeremy Grant, uh, he was the one bright spot from tonight, and arguably, I would say he was the only bright spot since the second half in Indiana last week. Uh, that was Jeremy Grant's career night tonight. He had a career high of 27 points. He had 10 rebounds. He was 6-7 from the free throw line, so he, he got to the free throw line and made his free throws. He had three blocks, played some really good defense, and had some monster dunks. You know, I, like I mentioned, he was the biggest reason OKC was even able to make a comeback in the fourth because he kept them in position, kept them within striking distance, if you want to call it striking distance. Um, but regardless, you know, I, he had an incredible game. And that really just speaks to his development that I know we have all have talked so much about this season. He, as well as the coaching staff, deserves so much credit for his development on both ends. 
you know, he is so much more controlled. His instincts have improved on both sides. And it's just, it's really exciting to see. And I'm uh, really excited to see him moving forward, both, you know, this postseason as well as how he develops this offseason and continues to improve and develop. We kept running Jeremy to the high post, like I mentioned earlier, to help break the zone defense. And from there, he could either pass out from there or score the ball. And he scored the ball a lot tonight, which was really cool to see. So obviously that was much needed. And that was kind of the one bright spot of tonight's game. And I hope that's something that we can continue to do is uh, find ways to continue to get like Jeremy and Steven involved, particularly once Russ gets, gets back. And obviously he's going to need his touches as well. I hope we can, are able to continue to let Jeremy do, do his thing and develop. So the one like the last thing I have here before Twitter questions is Antonio Daniels <clears throat> had his post-game analysis, and that, we all love Antonio. He's incredible. Um, but I thought this post-game analysis really stuck out to me because I felt he ordered it perfectly. And while it may be bo- bad podcasting to just play what AD said, uh, I don't want to butcher it by summarizing it because he did such a great job. So I'm actually going to play that for you guys here and brief- briefly touch on it because I think he wraps this up perfectly before we move out of here and, and move on to the next game. So, so here, here's what Antonio had to say. Here's like the first segment. Uh, of his post-game analysis. You know, my job up here is to talk about the game that I see. That's my job. That's what we're paid to do. And what I see right now, and what I don't understand, is we're witnessing a team tonight, and you can even go back two nights ago, to a team that's playing with no sense of urgency. Because to me, it's not about losing. And I've said this ever since I've been blessed to cover this team. It's not about losing. It's how you lose. And when I say there's no sense of urgency, what I'm referring to is this. When you're throwing the ball all over the place and not just turning it over, but then you're not sprinting back. When defensive rotations, and you're not even trying to rotate. When you're, you're, you're attacking the rim and complaining to the officials as opposed to getting back. There is no sense of urgency. But... When you get down 20 points at home, now it's like, okay, let's play hard. There is no switch in basketball. There is no switch. You don't get down 20 points and say, all right, now let's start playing. No, guys are too talented. Dwayne Wade is Dwayne Wade. Goran Dragic is Goran Dragic for a reason. So when you get down 20 points and now you want to start playing hard, now for the remainder of the game, everything has to go perfect. So I hope that came clear uh Came through clear to you guys because, I, like I said, I thought he summarized that up perfectly and just a couple things that really stuck out to me. Um, first of all, I didn't mention Dwayne Wade. He was incredible tonight as well. A lot of people said he looked like vintage vintage Flash because he really did. He had 25 off the bench along with Dragic <clears throat> 26. Um, he was just great all around, 10 to 17 from the field. So that's something I wanted to bring up really quick. But um, a couple of things that, that kind of jumped out to me from what AD said that I really thought summarized this last stretch of Thunder games pretty perfectly there's no effort, lack of urgency. You can't quote-unquote flip a switch when you're down 20 to a team because teams are too talented. And sometimes this team, and I hate to say it because I love Russell more than anyone, but sometimes I think it's kind of the Russell mentality that he's kind of he's kind of spreads on this team is they do. They <clears throat> they feel like they can compete with anyone, which they should, but it's to the point where they just sometimes they either don't take it seriously or they get caught up, like AD said, in, in fr- frustration, fouls, and they just kind of – let that get the, let their emotions get the best of them. Let their thinking get the best of them. Maybe I'm, I'm not really sure specifically what it is, other than they just think they can flip the switch on. And we're seeing now it's to the point this late in the season where you can't just flip on a switch. You know, you have what is it, 11 games now to try and make this work um, before you head into the playoffs. 
So anyways, I thought AD really summarized that perfectly. I'm actually posted on our account if you guys want to go back and listen to it again or uh, want to reach out to him and, and talk to him. So let's move on to Twitter questions. I'll try and get through these really quick. I really appreciate you guys reaching out and sending some good Twitter questions in. So the first is actually not a question. It is uh, Daniel Northcutt, at Daniel Northcutt, just sent a gif saying, or a gif saying that I'll just be over in the corner balling. And I do not blame you one bit, Daniel. Uh, Austin Thompson, Austin underscore T78. Why does a zone defense seem to make us look like we don't know how to play basketball? Um, I kind of got into that earlier. Uh, and just, I think the only thing I want to add to that probably is when your players aren't, when your other players outside of your stars aren't hitting outside shots and your stars kind of have to re- resort to more of an ISO ball type offense. And that is the last thing you want to do in the zone. That's literally what the zone defense has tried to get you to do. And I would not be surprised if the Thunder can't figure out zone defenses here before the playoffs. Uh, don't be surprised if we see a zone defense for you know for a majority of a series, uh, the first round series, if if we aren't able to crack that and figure it out. Chincho hashtag MVPG at CM official. <laughs> Do you you have any reason to keep watching the games until playoffs? They just don't care. They just don't care about them, and I'm tired of being angry, which is fair. This neither of these games have been fun. Uh, particularly when I went to watch the Warriors game. I was super excited to be back in the peak, and they just completely laid an egg. There was nothing fun about that. There was nothing fun about covering this game tonight other than I just enjoy basketball. Um, but the only reason I have to say to say to you, Chincho, is just because we're loyal fans. We love our team. And believe it or not, I don't think this is the end-all, be-all. I think this team can still turn it around, and I think it's going to be worth it when we see that. So Paul George posterized Giannis. Uh, I can't see his at because his, his name's long. <laughs> he asked, think playing a tougher team is better in the first round than a sleeper team again? That's a really good question. Um, if we're being completely honest, there's no sleeper teams in the top eight of the West, so I really don't think that matters anyways. Uh, I think it just kind of comes down to matchups. There's certain teams we match up better with than others. Obviously, we don't really want to see Houston in the first round, um, but I wouldn't be super surprised if we went out there and were able to beat them in the seven-game series. Uh, but then the second-game series is going to just be miserable because they're going to be so tired and exhausted. So I, I really don't know. I think that's a good question. But like I said, I, there's not really any sleeper teams in, in the West, particularly in the top eight. And then Stevie Wonder, he asked, why didn't we tank when KD left? Um, I get it. The frustration's there. But again, I mean, impressive we trust. You cannot say anything negative about Sam, what he was able to do after Kevin Durant did leave, because it would have been very e- easy to tank, or even just to try and rebuild, uh, trade Russ and try to rebuild, whatever it may have been. And he ended up with you know, this team that we see now, um, Paul George, Steven Adams, Jeremy Grant. And, you know, something to kind of keep in mind is that even though this sucks and, you know, we had last year to go through and we've had all these years with, you know, all those years with KD and we feel like it should be our time to get a championship. All in all, this is really year one. Um, and I know Russ is getting older and maybe he doesn't seem like the same player he did here a couple of years ago, whatever. He's still developing, um, into this new phase of his career, even if, if you want to call it new, um, it's not like he's really declining. And particularly if KD leaves, the Warriors break up. You know, this is still just year one. So uh, it, it's not worth tanking, particularly not until, you know, we get to the end of uh, Paul George and Russell Westbrook's uh, uh, new deals. So that is all the Twitter questions. I really appreciate you guys reaching out. Um, looking ahead, Thunder play Toronto Wednesday night at home, then Friday again in Toronto. All right, or play Toronto again, but this time in Toronto on Friday. They need to have at least one of those. And then they have to beat the Grizz on Monday unless they want to slip even more in the standings, which would be insane. Because San Antonio just won its ninth straight. I, be- I believe I'm right on that. Utah just won its fourth straight. 
And the Clippers are looking great as well. Lou Will is, is balling out of his mind. So the Thunder are falling apart at the wrong time, while teams like the teams I mentioned, as well as Houston, are peaking at the right time. Um, so, sorry, there's an airplane. Um, so here's to hoping that the Nick Collison jersey retirement, combined with Russ's return on Wednesday, will give this team the spark that they desperately need to turn this around in time for the playoffs. However, let's be honest, and I was thinking about this. I've been, been thinking about this over the past week. Would it not be like the most Thunder thing ever if this season's team continued to lose to end the regular season? We, we only say we only win like four games from here on out, and then we go and upset and beat a team in the first round like Houston, Golden State, Denver, and then move on to the second round. Like That would just be the most like Thunder thing ever. Um, but let's hope that doesn't actually happen uh, in terms of finishing the season anyways. Hopefully we'll finish this strong. But anyways, that's just me rambling. Keep your, keep your heads up. Uh, be sure to check out our latest group pod with Mikey Barrett that dropped on Saturday. Lots of really good content. We had a lot of fun with it. I think you guys will have some laughs as well as some really good uh, insight and analysis that Mikey always brings. And it's still relevant. It's not like it's an old pod that, that doesn't really ring true. I think the only thing in there that probably isn't relevant anymore is the Thunder pre, uh, Warriors preview. So also stay tuned. We have another really exciting guest that we're trying to finish setting up for two weekends from now. That uh, would be a really, really fun one, a really big one for us, and one that I don't think you guys have probably ever heard of or heard from before on a podcast, and one that I think you guys would be really excited to hear. So we're excited about that. Stay tuned. Until then, we'll talk to you guys after Wednesday's game. Thunder up. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com